So it's March 13th. It's 2016. We're fresh back from Africa. The uh, message today is called the Tame Gospel. T-A-M-E, Tame Gospel. There is uh, a profound truth that was realized on this trip straight from the book of Leviticus. I don't normally show videos when I preach, but some things are just video worthy. So you might want to turn in your Bible to Leviticus 19. When you get there, say there. We have a video for you that will explain Leviticus 19 and verse 27 to you. Just to make sure that you caught that image. When you take hold of the gospel, sometimes you have to take hold of those who have a hold of the gospel. I loved Mozambique. I loved Kenya. I loved South Africa. I'm creeping closer to 30 countries than 20 at this point in the faith. And I want to encourage you as you sit in this room in Sugarland, Texas. The gospel that is preached, the true gospel, works in any culture in the world. It defies language barriers. It defies cultural barriers. It defies even the barriers that religious men put in its way. So when the Gospel of Mark in the 16th chapter, turn with me there, the 16th chapter in the 15th verse says this, it is true everywhere in the world. So Mark 16, starting in verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world. I want to hear that from you. Say all the world. There is no part of the world that's excluded. It is all of the world. Go into all of the world, even the Muslim world, even the Hindu world, even the atheist world, even the namby-pamby, lukewarm Christian world. Go into all of the world and preach the good news to all creation. Who do we preach to? All creation. There is no area where the gospel should be off limits, where it should be modified, where it should be truncated or abridged to suit some special need in some special area of the creation. Say with me, all of the gospel gospel. applies to all of me. And all of you. In fact, to the whole world, saints. This is an important thing. Because the devil tries to back every family everywhere in every place in the world into a corner that says, I know, but. Like, I know what the message is. The thing is, is that won't go here because. Because you're a coward. Because you lack faith. Because, because why? All of the creation deserves all of the gospel. You don't have the right to look at a people group and say, you know, I don't think they're ready for this yet. You don't have that right. God told us all of the gospel to all of the creation. Whoever believes 
and is baptized will be saved. Somebody say amen. Amen. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Say these signs. Will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. Did you know that that is a part of the worldwide proclamation of the gospel? Driving out demons. The next one, speaking in new tongues. You know what's interesting about this? Olivia, you remember when we were out in the middle of nowhere under the stars by an African fire? While we were preaching a simple salvation message about the power of the Lord. Libby, did we do anything to try to encourage demonic manifestation? It just happened, didn't it? Libby looked up at me because we were surrounded by something that sounded like hyenas. Her daddy was praying for a man somewhere and there was something growling and hissing and spitting. Man, that spit flew perfectly straight through the air and smacked me right in the open mouth. It was terrible. That'll get your attention. I decided the second that spit hit me that that demon was going down. And if it was necessary to take the man off his feet to get the demon out, something, sometimes things happen. Libby was no longer scared in the African outback in the middle of the night. You know why? She was the most dangerous thing there. You know why? Because she believes. She believes in the power of God. So signs follow her life. There was another meeting where we were simply reading Acts 10 and expecting something to happen. It's an amazing thing when you read and expect something to happen. None of us got up. None of us went to any person and said, hey, look, repeat after me. Susie stole my Suzuki. None of us walked over and said, hey, untie my bow tie. None of us walked over and did any of the weird charismatic tricks to help somebody learn to speak in tongues. We were simply reading the scripture with an expectancy that something would happen. And all around the room... People began to stand up and praise God in other tongues for the very first time. And I looked over and Libby saw a young lady who had been struggling with the thoughts of these things for a while. Libby, hold up your hand. This hand suddenly became bigger than this hand. And it flew across the room and it went, bam, on top of this young college student's head. And you know what happened next? She began speaking in other tongues. These signs will follow those who believe. Well, why don't they happen here? Well, I think the scripture says why they don't happen here. They only follow those who believe. Church, the gospel was not meant to be truncated, abridged, otherwise cut down to size so that it was palatable or it fit your experience. Your experience is to be shaped by the gospel. If you don't expect things to happen... They don't happen because you are trimming the gospel down to fit your narrow experience. But the gospel is supposed to be the force that shapes your experience. Let us go to 1 Corinthians, the 14. Oh, let's not skip it. Let's go to Matthew 10. Yes, Matthew 10. 
When you are in Matthew 10, find the seventh verse and say, There when you were there. In Mark 16, we find out that there are signs that follow Christians. I just read a few of them. There are many. This book is full of them. The first ten chapters of Acts are normal Christian life. In Matthew 10, look at verse 7 and let us talk about the proclamation of the gospel. As you go. Wow, we could stop right there. Not as you sit and beg them to come to you. Not as you watch a TV clown preach to you in the comforts of your own bedroom. But as you go, preach this message. What message do we preach? The kingdom is near. Notice the message is not, hey, one day after you've sinned all you wanted in this life, you can get a fire insurance policy and go to heaven. The message is the kingdom of God is confronting you. The kingdom of God is upon you. It is enveloping you. It is right here. Wow, how many people go to a building called the church every single week and they're never actually confronted with the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Does it say if you feel like healing the sick, heal the sick? What's it say? Do you have the right to abridge that? To amend it? To decide that it's not just your ministry, you know? I mean, somebody else. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold. Somebody say any gold. Or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey. Or extra tunic or sandals or staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Let's review this. There are signs that are supposed to follow you. Secondly. We're supposed to preach the kingdom is near. Do things like heal and drive out demons. Where's Gabe Sutherland? Gabe Sutherland all the way in the back behind the camera this morning. Gabe Sutherland, do people get healed when you preach the gospel? We saw a leg that was like that go like that. Obviously because they're great men who have sold a lot of books. In fact, you can find a picture of Gabe on his latest book in a three-piece suit behind a big presidential desk with a library in the back. And that's why God honored him. Or it could be that he believed. Church, the real unfettered gospel, if it's not adulterated with unbelief, if it's not contaminated with people's visions of worldly success, It is action-oriented. It is profound in its manifestation. It is downright supernatural and otherworldly. Why do we want to tame that and make it more manageable, predictable, and uh, impotent? Did you notice that he said, preach the kingdom is near, but do not take money? Do you think that maybe he knew that there was an inherent risk that the more wealth you accumulated for yourself... The more, the bigger buildings you got, the more playlands you put inside your places of worship, that you might rely on those things rather than the power of the Spirit? Do you think that if he were writing this in, I don't know, the 2016 uh, comic book Bible, it would simply say, hey, don't rely on money and programs, rely on me? Think on this, church. 
How did we get where we're at? You can walk into a building today and everybody talk about what a great church it is. Why is it a great church? Well, look at those five core values. You mean the ones without scriptures listed there? The ones that could be in any Mormon building? The ones that could be in any Jehovah's Witness building? The one that is essentially team building slogans? That one? That's what you mean? Yes. Yes, but you have no idea about their programs for our children. You mean they have programs for your children like any secular business that wants to capture your children? When McDonald's wants to sell you a hamburger, what do they build out front? Well, if you're going to a church because they have a playland, what are they selling you? Oh, pastor, why are you so hard on all this? Because I'm concerned it's not a gospel at all. I'm concerned that there are no signs that manifest there. I'm concerned that what is happening is it's not about the kingdom being near. It's about you claiming that you have a Disney world now. I found out that even the powerless prophets that rule these kind of dominions don't have the ability to hinder the moving of the Holy Ghost if the people are hungry. I want you to understand something. This gospel did not originate with America. America's vision of success is not the gospel vision of success. Do you know how ludicrous it is to pump in to an African village somewhere a satellite stream of a man preaching from a secular psychologist book on relationships and five key points that you have to understand when you're driving to church and the people have no cars, when you're talking about putting on your makeup and the people don't wear makeup. Do you know how absurd that is? And it's going on all over the world. Do you know why? They're not selling the kingdom is here. That's not what they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming, look at me, I'm successful and you can be like me. That's not the gospel. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Some of you will be glad I'm back. Some of you be happy when I leave again. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has. How many people have? Everyone has. What happens when you assemble to worship the living God and no one has? What happens when you got a 5,000 member church and there's not one person in the building other than the great man that started it all that is capable of delivering a Sunday's message? What happens when you have to have a staffing agency find you people because of the 5,000 sheep that you've been pastoring for 15 years? You don't trust one of them enough to perform the calling. Y'all, this is not rare. This is commonplace. And you know what? They're celebrated as heroes. They're held up as the great Christians of our time. Do you know how you can accomplish something like that? when the people have forgotten to read their Bibles. That's why Scripture light, Gospel light, goes right along with this consumerism. You have to forget what the Word says to accept this. And by and large, the American church has had more access to the Word and taken advantage of it less than any nation in the world that has the Word. I was so distraught to travel to churches overseas and see that that has infected them. Their leaders don't carry Bibles, so they don't carry Bibles. 
A scripture is maybe a requirement somewhere in a message, but it's definitely not the point. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be. Somebody say must be. Must be done for the strengthening of the church. If it's not done, what does the church do? It grows weak. Even if it grows large, it grows weak. Let us review these three scriptures. I just picked three because Pastor Wade picked these three. There are signs that follow Christians in Mark 16. In Matthew 10, we don't rely on money and programs. We rely on the kingdom of God being in our midst. And that shows up by healing That shows up by driving out demons. That shows up by seeing freedom in people. In 1 Corinthians 14, we find out that everyone has something. If you are a Christian, then you walk into the building with something. If the Spirit of God is in you, you walk in with a divine capability that everyone else needs. And it must be done. Not might be. Not if the committee approves of it. Not if your pastor thinks it will put you on the right growth track. These things must be done. And I'm just going to go ahead and get this out at the beginning of the message so that I can be nice. If you have to tell me that your pastor is spirit-filled and I can hang around him for months and not know it, then we might have the wrong definition of what spirit-filled is. If you tell me your church is spirit-filled and 90% of the people in the church do not speak in other tongues, do not prophesy, are not bold in their witness, then you might have a wrong definition of what spirit-filled is. Which begs another question. Let's suppose that I am spirit-filled and you're not. How long should you put up with me hiding it from you? You're going to hold it, well, you know, our pastor's down with that. Then why hadn't he taught you to do it? Are there two classes of Christian now? There are those that are informed and elite and those that are not. There are two classes of Christian, but that's not it. It's the cowardly and unbelieving and those who are courageous and just don't know. Those are the two classes, the carnal and the one that is like Christ. Those are the two classes. Which class would you like to be in today? With all of my heart, I want to represent the king rightly. Now listen, I can hear the naysayer. Maybe, maybe not seated here. Although I suspect there's a few here and that's okay with me. I never minded conflict. Where's the love in what you're saying? Where is the love in leaving people unequipped so that you can brag about the number of butts and seats? Where is the love of watching people walk in, waste 40 minutes of their life, and walk out feeling better about themselves with not a thing changed? Where is the love in a man that hungers for God and is pretty sure that he's receiving it, and yet somehow or another he's hollow inside because, I mean, these people have done all this. They must be the great Christians. Can meet an outsider and inside of 24 hours get filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, our children pray for people to get filled with the Holy Ghost. During this service today, not on the stage, not in front of everybody, not for show or a notch in a belt, our children prayed for somebody to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And you know what? The young man did. Do you know why? Because they believe. 
In fact, the natural state of a Christian is that he believes and therefore signs follow him. You have to be taught not to believe. Somebody has to quench your fire. Somebody has to put out what God put in you and teach you that there's a new normal called the tame gospel. It's a lame gospel, friends. These elements of money and programs, no signs, no gifts moving in the services because, you know... We just don't know if the people are ready for that. These are tamed, watered down, outright discarding the word. Powerful weaklings defend God from his own Bible in order to feel or appear successful in their own eyes. Church, are you successful if you can gather together thousands of people, but none of them are capable of doing what you do? Do you know what our pride and joy is in this ministry? That every few years, new couples go out to change the world. Our pride and joy in this ministry is that any family that's been here any length of time can step behind this pulpit and deliver the very same kind of word and results happen. Because the message is not dependent upon the man. The man is made by the message that he preaches. Oh, come on, church. I don't know if you're hearing me this morning. This means it doesn't matter whether you look like Ken and Barbie, although I was recently in a conversation where people admitted to me that's why they initially went to the church they did. Well, I could hit the gym, but I decided to rely on the power of God instead. And an excellent beard. Actually, my wife's after me almost every day to get rid of this. And um, I'm asserting my independence. In faith, she looks at me and she says, I love you. And I say, and what else? She says, I, I love you. I say, and what else? And what do you say, honey? I love your beard. I love your there are a few brothers on TBN that told me if you speak a thing, it becomes a reality and I'm trying it out. Turn with me to Psalm 19. When you get to Psalm 19, find the seventh verse. I'm a little bit riled up today, and uh, I'm not about to apologize for it. We're going to get a little deeper before it gets any lighter here, okay? I'm going to tell you the truth. If some of the people I've been hanging around with lately couldn't tame me, then nobody here can either. The gospel is a, a wild, raging fire. If you think you can box it in, the best you might ever do is put it out in your own life, but you can't. Box it in. In Psalm 19, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is... It revives the soul. Amen. I heard that word today. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are more pure than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. For me, the word of God is all sufficient. For me, the word of God is a treasure. And the revelation that's derived from it, the most important thing in my life. 
But these whimpering spiritual eunuchs have more regard for their core values and their slogans than for the Word of God. And we put up with it. What would it say about me? What would it say about Pastor Wade? What would it say about Matthew? If you were in this church for 10 years and you could name five core values and not assign a single scripture to one of them. But it's common Christianity today. Hey man, we connect. We serve. We share. You open your Bibles while you do any of it? It's on our phones. What else is on your phone if I look carefully? The Word is not to be a proof text to support the point you already wanted to make. The Word is not a footnote to satisfy the critic that is sitting out there waiting to catch you. Church, something is wrong when we're leaning more heavily on secular authors than we are the Word of God and we throw in a scripture or two as fast as we can without even opening a Bible, just flash the reference on a screen because, you know, we don't want anybody to get the wrong idea about us. Good Lord, they might be getting the right idea about you. What has defined your life? Do you love that book? Do you treasure it? Do you carry it wherever you go? Have you noticed that some of the men in this church have got like bomb-proof cases for their Bibles? You know, it was the most amazing thing. Every border crossing, every time I went through immigration, I was like, hey, what's in there? It's like, you want to see it? They're like, what is in the case? So you want to see it. Click, click. I said, what is it? I said, that's my Bible. Well, that thing's protected. I said, it doesn't need to be protected. It needs to be let out. (laughs) Remember, you asked to see it. (laughs) Comfort is king in this consumerism. It's raining as the pillow prophets pleasure us with their platitudes. Let me tell you a, a few of their favorites. I've been on a plane a little bit lately. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. So we don't challenge. We don't push. Could you give me chapter and verse on the Holy Spirit as a gentleman? Can anybody in this room do that? Can you show me in the Word where that's derived? Is it found in the same place that cleanliness is next to godliness? Is it in the book of Second Hezekiah? When did that become more important than the actual written Word? Some man's revelation a hundred years ago that perhaps because the Holy Spirit can be gentle, when did that become the defining characteristic that has insulated a 3,000, 5,000, 20,000 member church from challenging people about being filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. We might have different definitions of gentlemen because the gentleman that I know would fight for honor. The gentleman that I know would never pander for popularity. The gentleman that I know would never couch their cowardice behind their success. Ask Ananias in Acts 5, is it true that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman? Ask Sapphira how gentle she found the Holy Spirit. Could we put Acts 2-2 on the screen for everyone? You know this scripture. Suddenly, the sound... A sound 
like the blowing of a gentle whisper and a sigh of regret came from heaven. (laughs) Suddenly, the sound of a, if we have to, came from heaven. Suddenly, the sound of a strange quarterly weekend encounter came from heaven. Suddenly, the sound of someone who was open to the things of God. What, like Shirley MacLaine? I mean, what do you mean open? See, I expect that when I believe, things happen. What is it that you mean by saying we're open to it? Has it happened this year? No. Did it happen the year before it? Not at all. Happened the year before that? No. Why do you call yourself spirit-filled? Well, my pastor is. Well, his wife is. Well, somebody in the house is. Mm -hmm. Where's that leave you? Oh, we're spirit-filled. Who knows that? Who, who, how, how would anyone know that? Well, we didn't want to challenge people. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. I found the Holy Spirit to be the most challenging possible thing in my life. I found the Holy Spirit to be gentle, yes, but absolutely sovereign. So when He speaks, I move. What do you mean by gentleman? Do you mean a coward like you? What do you mean when you say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? Do you mean he's predictable? Do you mean he's tame? Do you mean that the Holy Spirit checks with you to see whether you want to do what he's asked you to do? Is that what you mean? Where do you find that in the scripture? And yet this is almost dogma, even in the charismatic church. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit's not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's altogether loving. Do you love your children? Then you better discipline them. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit loves you and will not discipline you? Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Say there when you're there. (coughs) Have I bored you to sleep so far? Look, in Mozambique, I never saw a greater move of God less celebrated. If success is not rocking the boat, then admittedly, this ministry is happy to fail. If signs, wonders, and miracles are affirmation from heaven, then Pastor Wade succeeded in every way. You have to decide sometimes whether you want the popularity or you want heavenly power. What did the vast majority of the crowd do in Jerusalem on the day people got filled with the Holy Ghost? They laughed and made fun of them. But for 3,000, it was a life-changing event. Look, I, I had my share of setbacks. Last year, I applied to go to India. We lost about $5,000 and I didn't get to go. About four months ago, I applied under a new visa program to go to India. I got denied. There's one more avenue to get into the country of India. I've been eight previous times. There's 19 churches there. I talk to them weekly. A friend of mine died in January there preaching the gospel this year. I wanted to go to his funeral. I want to hug his daughter. I want to talk to him. I applied here recently for a 30-day visa. Give me 30 days in your country. I think I'm going to consider it a success if you're dangerous enough to the enemy that you can get yourself banned from an entire country. 
So I was denied to go to India. But you know what our pride and joy in this ministry is? You. And you weren't banned. Do you know what that means? That means the message is not dependent upon the messenger. Because I hear this a lot. Hey, brother, I don't have so much a problem with your message. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's your delivery. <laughs> well, sir, how do you deliver it? Well, I don't. Well, then I like my way of delivering it better than your way of not delivering it. <laughs> you know, Elder Bosch preached a message about the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw near a 100% response and mass fillings with the Holy Ghost. Pastor Wade preached a message where there could be no altar call because we don't want to upset people. So Wade closed the service and then said, by the way, if this word challenged you in a way that you'd like to respond, the whole room came forward. You don't like the message or you don't like the messenger. Well, then we'll just provide you the message through any person in our church, whether they hold doors, whether they clean toilets, because the message is unstoppable. Church, this is not an eco trip. It never has been. So, well, Eric, you know, sometimes, man, you're just way over the top. Yeah, and I'm not the only one. You don't like me? Pick another. Charlie's better looking at me anyway, and he can sing. We were never trying to build a following for ourselves. We're in love with the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ and it works under the trees in Mozambique. It works in the living rooms in South Africa, whether Johannesburg or Port Elizabeth. It works in the orphanages of Kenya. It works everywhere except where men don't believe, are cowardly, and have worshipped success rather than Jesus. Now, the most amazing thing that happens, even among Christians who really love the Lord, they're like, oh, oh, uh, um, you know, judge not. Yeah, could you read the rest of the chapter, please? Stop judging by mere appearances. Make a right judgment. You are supposed to be able to tell the difference between those who are in the kingdom and those who are pimping out the things of God for their personal profit. You're supposed to be able to tell the difference. And next time... Uh, hear me ladies I might as well just upset you right away next time you walk into a building and you're really excited about all that they have here and you think oh man if we had this then I mean if we had access to this stop and ask yourself what did they have to do to get this and then go search the walls anywhere on the first floor and tell me if you can find a scripture then go search the people and find, see if you can find a manifestation of the Spirit anywhere. Say, hey, man, we, we, we see thousands. Uh-huh. I'll take our 130 any day. Church, I, I'm not trying to rain condemnation down on somebody. I, I'm fighting for the standard of the gospel. And it is so relaxed in our time that what 50 years ago would have gotten you just run off of the stage is now celebrated to applause. Don't you want the real thing? Hebrews 11, are you there? I'm not going to get mournful over this because the gospel moves no matter what people do. But it is heartbreaking to watch people's children get spirit-filled and they're not happy. It's heartbreaking 
to watch church leaders in mass get filled with the Holy Ghost. And others that are above them are not happy. And you wonder why? What could possibly be bad about this? Well, they were concerned it was too challenging. I was told, hey man, we're into deep things here. Our pastor likes the hard, old teachings. You ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill? It's like, have I heard of him? Yes. Yes, I've heard of Leonard. He thinks he was from England, but he was from Texas. Oh man, our, our pastor likes guys like Leonard Ravenhill. I don't think you would. Leonard Ravenhill said, the God of all comfort afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. And you've made it your goal in life to comfort people regardless of their condition. I don't think you would like Leonard Ravenhill. This is why we like our prophets dead. We like them dead because we can pick and choose what we want to hear and when we want to hear it. Hebrews 11. Let us pick up on verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace. Somebody say disgrace. Disgrace Disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward. I'm sorry, he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw... Him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. When the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Would somebody please try to tell Moses that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he just wants you to be comfortable? Was the Holy Spirit a gentleman to the Egyptians? Was the Holy Spirit a gentleman to Moses? How about when he met him along the roadside on the way back to Egypt? See, to believe these kind of things, you have to stop accepting the truth of the Scripture. You start holding up core values and platitudes when confronted about it. Like if I say to you, hey man, what does it mean to say do work? You're like, you know... I hear our pastors say that all the time. Where are they reading from when they say it, son? Well, somewhere in Chronicles. Yes, and we will wait right here until you find it. It's between the 27th chapter and the 29th. You might find it somewhere in the 28th chapter. We would never settle for you parroting back phrases that you don't even understand, much less can derive personally from the Word. But this is normal Christianity. Just like if you go to work at Burger King, they're going to tell you their corporate slogans. This is not Burger King. When the kingdom of heaven comes near, the way that you know how to operate as an ambassador of the king is by his word and his word alone. Ambassadors, as Boz taught Friday night, they don't carry their own word. Their own word is unimportant. Their opinions are unimportant. It is the word that matters. Have you become more concerned with people's feelings than with the Word of God? Do you show more reverence for their feelings than for the Word of God? What makes you think you know better than Him? What makes you think you know the key to unlocking someone's heart as opposed 
to the Word. And by the way, if it was not a collision with the Word that saved you, then how or if you got saved did that happen? See, are you trying to insulate people from the very thing that brought you to the conclusion that you are a sinner deserving of hell? Say, well, these people have been in our church a long time. Well, you can incubate goats if you want to. I want to raise up saints that kick down the gates of hell. Why don't we see all the things here that we see on the mission field? Well, it's quite obvious because we fail to expect them. We like our lions tame and lame. How many of you know who C.S. Lewis is? I want to tell you a little bit about C.S. Lewis as we move through the concept of the Word of God as like a lion. C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien were in a writing group called the Inklings. It turns out that Tolkien and Lewis liked to meet. They met on Mondays, and it was just the two of them, and they'd talk about writing, but people found out that they were meeting, and before long there were more than 19 authors tagging along. So they had to move their meeting. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is probably C.S. Lewis' most famous work, took him 10 years to write. How many of you have read or seen the movie Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe? 10 years of his life. By the way, it was 1939 to 1949. Not a very peaceful era in the world. Most of the characters in it were inspired by people that he lived with. In 1947, he had a completed copy. He showed it to his friends. They didn't like it and he threw it away. Went back to work. Ten years to complete what he started. Lewis wasn't sure what to do with the book until Aslan came bounding into it in his own memoirs. He had been having dreams of lions and found that putting Aslan into his story pulled the whole story together. And as soon as he did, he cranked out six other Narnian stories. In other words, the character that represented the virtue found in Jesus Christ is what pulled the whole story together. In fact, He had to be the center of the story or nothing else made sense. It was the key to understanding the whole world. Church, if we remove the Holy Scripture. Now, he said, no, no, pastor, you don't understand. There's Bibles all over the church. Yes, but they're closed. Yes, they're not being celebrated from the stage. Yes, they're not quoted with fluency. Yes, the ideals of the church are not easily identified in the Scripture. There are Bibles everywhere, and familiarity has bred contempt. Well, we were in South Africa. We met with some raucous young men. One of them had a scar on his head and a few scars on his hands. I understood him immediately. 2.30 in the morning that evening, they're screaming out at the top of their lungs for Jesus to save them. There was one Bible in the house that nobody had read. When you contrast that with where I had come from, the hunger of the lost was extraordinary. And the moving of the Holy Ghost among the lost, profound. Where we saw the least moving of God were in the very few individuals that had decided that they wanted some easier route. There's a profound message there. God doesn't need your life perfect. 
He doesn't, he doesn't need you to get all your stuff together before he'll work through you. In fact, he'll work through you because you're broken and it shows his glory. The one thing that he will not put up with in your life is rivals. A rival vision of how to be successful. A rival vision of how you ought to do things. A cramming his word into your vision rather than letting his word shape your total vision. He will not put up with it. And you could be extraordinarily successful in the world's eyes, but never have touched the heart of God. How sad would that be if all of the buildings that you built testified against you? The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe is ridiculously successful. It's been translated into 47 languages, and it was adapted for TV, stage, radio, and the silver screen. In 2005, it became a movie. Let's show that first C.S. Lewis slide. This is one of the things that was written about the lion, Aslan, that represents Jesus. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. Don't you want the Lord to fix things that are broken? Or would you prefer to proclaim him too gentlemanly to address your ills? At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. Man, if he was writing this today, he would say, at, the, at, the, at your sorrows, he will, will comfort and pad your bottom. When he bears his teeth, the lion of the tribe of Judah has teeth? You're kidding me. Nobody told me that. I thought that he was this Stay puff Marshmallow Man hugging bunnies and holding up uh, little white lambs. He has teeth? When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Let's go to the next one. This one so grabbed my heart today. Not just today. (laughs) Speaking of Aslan, safe? Don't you hear what she's telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you. Jesus Christ is not safe. The moving of the Holy Spirit is not safe. He tells you right up front, it'll cost you everything. It'll cause you to deny yourself, to take up your cross. You will probably die in His service. That's not safe. Boy, if you stood in the great assembly and said that, how great would your assembly be? Then it's not much of an assembly, is it? Because this is the kind of message that shaped Christianity since the beginning. It was based on Matthew 16, 24. It's based on a biblical picture of who Jesus is. In Mark 12, 24, Susan, you can get that next video ready. In Mark 12, 24, we find the basis for all of our issues. Say there when you were there. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? Some people know what the Scripture says, but they've never experienced His power. Others have been touched by His power, but it's never been shaped by a knowledge of the Scripture. So they're all over the place. Their gospel is tame and it is lame. It will never work right. You must know the Scriptures and the power of God and you must marry the two. I want to show you when I was first born again, we had a, uh, a Magnavox TV set that I kid you not stretched from Nolan to me. 
It was a giant wooden case, a tiny, terrible little screen, and you had to hit a button and a needle moved back and forth until it found a channel, right? And we didn't have cable, and, and praise God, we didn't have cable. And we only watched things that we could get at the Sunshine Christian Armory. So it was like uh, Victor Mature in the robe, Victor Mature in the Gladiator movie, Victor Mature in this. It's, it's all 1950s in black and white, right? Because we're trying to keep it pure. I found out none of it is pure. You know, the Word of God's pure. There's nothing that's pure. But one day we were so excited to find out we could catch the National Geographic Channel, right? So, now this long time before there was a cable channel, it was a show that came on, right? And, and on it, the lions and the hyenas were fighting. And something began to stir in my soul, right? I, TV was a, a very minimal part of our lives back then. So, I remember the clip this morning while we were talking about it. And it's been 23 years. But I Googled it and it popped up as the first clip. I want to show you what that lion is like. This hit me 23 years ago. It has shaped the way that I view Jesus and the Holy Spirit ever since. Could we play that? But now the matriarch and the pride male express their hostility with unmistakable actions. This new matriarch is confident and defiant, marking where he marks and harassing the much larger lion. Matriarch seems to succeed in the psychological warfare. This is not a competition for food. Frenzied calls filter across the bush to the keen ears of Intwai Dumela. He who greets with fire. He is the hyena killer. It 
it was not always easy for us to witness these struggles for life. Church, when you were thinking about Jesus Christ, he is a hyena, a sin killer. He's no more gentlemanly than that. When you were thinking of the power of the Holy Ghost, he's no more gentle when dealing with sin and compromise than that. Have you ever read about the seven churches of the book of Revelation? Which one of them did not get a rebuke? He said things such as, I will rack you on a bed of pain and suffering. He killed Ananias and Sapphira for less compromise than we see all around us all of the time. Let's read what Charles Spurgeon said and then we're going to Psalm 2. The Word of God can take care of itself and it will do so if we preach it and cease defending it. See you that lion? They have caged him for his preservation. They have shut him up behind iron bars to secure him from his foes. See how a band of armed men have gathered together to protect the lion? What a clatter they make with their swords and spears. These mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. Oh fools, slow of heart, open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all of its lion-like majesty and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of adversaries. If you could ever gather the courage to simply let the Word of God settle your understanding, settle your belief, preach it without apology, then do you know what happens? Even in churches where the leadership is not for the moving of the Holy Ghost, the people will receive the moving of the Holy Ghost. In African bushes, they will receive the Holy Ghost. They will be delivered of their demons. They will get saved and healed. The signs that accompany the preaching of the true gospel do exactly that. They accompany the preaching of the true gospel. Why don't we see it here very often? Because you're not preaching the real gospel. You're preaching your version of success. You're preaching something that attracts people but does not attract God. Oh, man. What's at stake here? Well, just the souls of every person alive on the planet today. You want to know why we're not attacking, spiritually speaking, Islam? You might turn on the air there, Matthew. You want to know why we're not advancing in every direction? Because we have a powerless gospel. That's why. If we preach the truth of the gospel, we would see the results of the gospel. Would you like to see the results of the gospel? Yes. Write down Psalm 2, 7 through 12. Psalm 2, 7 through 12 says this. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with gentlemanly like decorum, asking them whether or not they would like to be disciplined. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Who does that? Jesus Christ. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. Did you know that you can make Jesus Christ angry? 
Did you know you can grieve and quench the Holy Spirit of God? Why, why are we not concerned with angering Jesus? We're not concerned with quenching the Spirit, but we are concerned with the person who's been sitting here two years that we don't think is ready for the full truth. How does that work? When did we begin to show more deference for the sinner sitting there claiming to be a saint than we show for the power of God? Well, this is when we begin to put our faith in our buildings. We begin to put our faith in our resources. We begin to talk all around the gospel without ever actually reading the gospel. By the way, in Hebrews 10.31, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. What kind of thing? A fearful thing. The Bible describes Him in so many places like Deuteronomy 4.24 as a consuming fire. The context of Deuteronomy 4.23 and 24 is that you can't have idols. He won't have rivals. He is a consuming fire. Church, when you think on such things, did you ever consider that your version of success might be idolatrous to Him? What does a successful life look like? So if I say, Mike Vallant, what would a successful life look like? Well, it probably depends on what decade I asked you. But maybe when you were 20, you'd say, hey, to have lots of money and retire well. Well, and then what? And then what? What does a successful life look like, Curtis? If we'd asked you at one point in your life, you know, it might have been, have a good time. But at some point, the gospel penetrates your heart and becomes all that you desire. Not a part of what you desire. Not some token in your life like I added Jesus to it. It consumes all of your life or you don't have it. Let me say it another way. If it doesn't have you, you don't have it. If it has not consumed you, then you don't have it. You're trying to add a little Jesus to your already perfect life. You want to know why we can build playlands and Starbucks in our churches and the people come in passing by the bookstore hearing the contemporary ridiculous service that does not glorify the Word of God or the Lord of the Word? We can do that because we expect so little. Nobody's looking for signs to follow anyone. Nobody's looking for manifestations of anything. In fact, the great manifestation that everyone is so excited about is look how many people are here. Well, good for you. Have you ever watched a soccer game? You ever watched a football game? Look how many people are there. Does that make the soccer ball a golden idol? What is it? What is it that you want if you are not looking for God's Spirit to manifest among you? If you are not looking for the Word to become reality in the lives of not one or two people in the room, but every person in the room? You know, I look over at Hopi today during worship and I care for her. I care for her because I can see that the Lord cares for her. I looked and signaled to another lady, please come pray with me because God will fight for this one. I said, but what are you going to do, man? What if she felt challenged? What if she was scared? What if she never comes back because you singled her out? Then I better not miss my chance now. How did we get so cowardly? How did we decide that the feelings of a 15-year-old girl were more important than God telling you what you should do? Don't you think He knows the way to her heart? What I was fearful might alienate her, she came up afterwards and thanked me for. Do you know why? She's more courageous than you might have thought. 
Are you underestimating your God and the people that He's calling? Oh, church, how do you know what people are ready to handle? Oh, I, look, man, maybe we better, better pick a day when Pastor Eric's preaching because I don't think they're, they're ready for what Matthew's going to bring. How dare you? We can't do this. The power of the Holy Spirit is not limited to any individual. The power of the Holy Spirit is not to be... Well, you know, how many of you have had this thought? Let me just tell you I have. That way you'll be okay. Okay? Lord, there's like 17 guests back there. Do we have to jog around the building today and shout in other tongues? I mean, couldn't we just have, you know... Uh, no. No. You know why? Because if you have to water it down for them to stay, then they're not worthy of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said things like that, and it's the church that's too cowardly to do it. If you have to catch them with your ravishing good looks, then what happens as you get older? If your building is the draw, then what? Listen, this is how you get a dumbo drop. This is how you get Operation Easter where we're going to fly in a giraffe and drop it out of the sky to wow people so they'll come to our service. We'll get a celebrity to come and then everybody will come because Jesus is just not enough, you know. This is how you get this kind of circus parlor tricks. In fact, it's how you get a church that is built on coming see us in our building. See, what we want to build here is get out of the building Go do mighty exploits and we will look forward to regathering here to hear what God did through you. That's why everyone has. That's why I'm looking forward to hear what God's doing in Samira's life. That's why I just have to know what's going on with Jorge. That's why what we're looking for during worship is your prophecy, your word, your testimony. We want to hear Abby Vincent stand up and say, I prayed for somebody and they got healed. We want to see you experience the kingdom and we won't settle for anything less. Does that make us bad people or mean that we love you less? Oh man, go to a church your whole life where they simply tell you you're a champion and feed your children well so you don't have to worry about them for the entirety of a 50-minute service and you deserve what you get. I believe that Jesus Christ is going to raise up a different kind. We've seen this before. I want to run through a couple things quickly with you. They're not new topics. And having said that, if you're foolish enough to be glancing at a watch that I don't wear, at least not today, and wondering when this is going to end, don't tempt me. First Kings 12. This is Jeroboam, son of Nebat. He's infamous in Scripture. In three or four verses, I think you will get it. I won't have to preach on it forever. I think you'll understand it. Starting in 12, verse 26. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. In other words, what do I do to retain people? If these people go up and offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. You know what that doesn't take into account at all? What God has said. 
It doesn't take it into account at all. It's what he fears. It's what he thinks might happen. But it has nothing to do with what God says. You say, oh, well, good thing that was then. And that's not now. Well, what do you think it is when a pastor goes, I know the scripture says these things must be done. It's in my Bible just like yours. But we are not going to do it. Or we're going to do it, you know, every 29th Sunday in the evening to an unadvertised service while nobody's looking and there are no cameras rolling. How does that not make you nauseous? Could it be that you're getting used to something because it's so prevalent that you shouldn't be used to? He has such little regard for the Word of God, He's going to do something that has happened all around us. Look at verse 28. After seeking the advice the king made, two golden calves, he said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. For your convenience, no, let me say it like I mean it, for your comfort, it's it's more important for you to do what makes you comfortable and be convenient to you than it is for you to be in right standing. Now, I don't mean the word right standing as uh, a metaphor. I mean literally standing where you should be. (laughs) See, they're comfortable standing in a place other than where God said for them to stand. They're comfortable worshiping something other than what God said for them to worship. And they're calling it God. Church, this is going on all around us. You know, we are so far from the only church, and I'm glad. I mean, fired up, sincere, Holy Ghost impassioned, Bible-carrying, Spirit-filled, Word-filled people everywhere. But it is not popular anywhere. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. It's not popular anywhere. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, in fact... Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how does that fit with popularity? It's not possible to have both. I don't care whether you have a bishop in front of your name, whether you go on Oprah Winfrey, whether you pack out the compacts. It makes no difference to me. Especially, especially when you're preaching this year does not match what you were preaching 15 years ago. When you are evolving on issues, do you know how that happens? When the Word of God becomes less important to you. When popularity has got hold of your heart. When your diamond earrings get so big that your ears are stretched out for a foot. So you go get plastic surgery and lie about it. It's incredible what is going on around us. And you know what? We accept it. Except I do not. In the name of comfort and convenience, they gave up their right standing with God. Look at verse 31. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people. Somebody say all sorts. They lessened the standard for popularity's sake. The Bible says to hand out bread in the church, you have to be spirit-filled. But we say if you're not on the stage, it doesn't matter. What gave you the right to do that? Oh, well, look at all our people. We can't be wrong. I've looked at your people and I'm sure you're wrong. You know, every time 
that I preach like this, and I do it a lot, not just here, everywhere that I go. Every time I talk to people like this, there's at least one sensitive soul out there that is going, yeah, but, but what about her and, and what about him? and what? Yes, what about them? If they're standing at the wrong place with the wrong standard, being ministered to by the wrong people, what about them? See, I'm not attacking people. I am fighting for those people to have the right standard. If the Bible teaches that you should know your pastor and your pastor should know you, they should be familiar with their way of life, be able to imitate them, then where do we get off changing that? Well, how could I know all those people? Exactly. You need more pastors. How is it you have all those people and you don't have any pastors? Somebody's not doing their job. How about the third one here? Verse 33. It's even more sickening. On the fifth day, 15th day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. Do you mean to tell me not only are we going to exalt comfort over right standing, we're also going to lessen standards for popularity, and then we're going to redesign God's whole system, redesign the entire thing just to fit our agenda? Church, do you honestly believe that that is not motivating Oh, many ministries all around us, if not most, redesign God's system to fit your agenda. This means that even though the Bible says do not forbid speaking in tongues, how many forbid it? Say, well, we don't forbid it. We're open to it. Yes, but you do not allow manifestations in your service. And if John Dang shows up and prophesies, he'll be asked to leave. Where do you get off with that? Where, when did that become okay? Do you know how the, judges, how the kings of Israel were judged after this point based on whether or not they repented from this? I, think on that. We have Solomon and the next generation is Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Every king after them was judged based on whether or not they repented from the error in that generation. How will you be judged? I said, well, I look, man, it's, I, I'm not responsible for all that. I just like to watch the broadcast, you know. In my house, we've come to the conclusion we can't watch things that say, throw a homosexual scene in there, you know. Two boys holding hands. Two women looking at each other like a man and woman should look at each other. We won't watch the show if that's in it. That's, that ought not be shocking to you, huh? Nobody's surprised by that. How much more damning is it if you watch a sick, perverted version of the gospel? At least you know what one is when you see it. 2 Kings 16. Say there when you were there. I'm at an hour and ten minutes, but we lost an hour last night, didn't we? We lost one last night, didn't we? Okay, we lost an hour last night, so see if we can find it. You know, it's just like the federal government to cut two hours out of one part of the day and add two hours to another part of the day and call the day daylight savings. Take half of Baja's paycheck and we'll give it to Matthew and we'll say that we gave uh, tax credits. Anybody else call that stealing? 
In Kings 16, verse 10. Are you there? I meant to say 2 Kings 16 in verse 10, which is why I'm staring at the page and don't know what's going on. 2 Kings 16, verse 10. Then King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. He saw an altar in Damascus and sent to Uriah the priest a sketch of the altar. Do you remember how the original altar was, was made? Moses saw into the heavens. He saw it. Everything that he built, he built according to a pattern. You can read that in the 8th chapter of Hebrews. You can read it throughout the book of Exodus. He saw a pattern and he built it. Where did Ahaz find his pattern? From the pagan world. Do you mean to tell me that those who are supposed to represent God, those who are in charge of various temples, might be getting their plans not from what they saw in the heavens, but what they think is successful on the earth? You know what it goes on to do? I mean, this is so incredible that it's, it's, it's actually hard to read. Uh, starting in verse 11, So Uriah the priest built an altar in accordance with all the plans that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus, and he finished it before King Ahaz returned. Sound like he was motivated, doesn't it? Oh, man, people get excited about carnal things. Can't get anybody to show up to a prayer meeting at 4 a.m., but if we have Tim Tebow come and talk to us about Easter, then, man, we'll have the whole city turn out. When the king came back from Damascus, he saw the altar. He approached it, and he presented offerings on it. He offered up his burnt offering and his grain offering, poured out his drink offering, and sprinkled the blood of his fellowship offerings on the altar. The bronze altar that stood before the Lord, he brought from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the temple of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. I, I, I know you may have trouble mapping all of that out, so let me show what he did. He took the new altar, or the, the old altar right here. Like everybody imagine it, old altar. That crappy old altar that we saw in heaven and built on earth. And he went, hold on. I'm going to put it back here behind the new big altar. Does that not strike anybody as just horrific? Listen to what he says. I mean, it, it's... This is happening every day to applause. King Ahaz then gave these orders to Uriah the priest. On the large new altar, what makes it special? It's large. It's new. Boy, we Americans, everything has to be large and new, right? On the large new altar... Offer the morning burnt offering and the evening grain offering. The king's burnt offering and his grain offering and the burnt offering of all the people of the land and the grain offering and the drink offering. Sprinkle on the altar all the blood of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But, somebody say but. but. That's that nasty conjunction. I will use the bronze altar for seeking guidance. You know what this is like? This is like going, no, no, in our church we're businesslike. Nobody prophesies. In our church, we do it the large way, the new way, the way that all the people love. But it's okay because our pastor, somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, at a time we never see him, he's spirit-filled. So that makes all this okay. You're not spirit-filled. You don't prophesy. You don't learn to preach. You're not expected to witness. You don't do the work of the Lord. He does. And how do we know he's got the altar of the Lord? Well, he says he hid it away somewhere behind the large new one. 
Why would you put up with that? Why would anybody put up with it? It has to be that you didn't know or that you don't care. Now, if you didn't know, you do now. If you don't care, you're going to find yourself in conflict with God. It has nothing to do with me. I have found that people can be set free in a ministry. They can be totally delivered. Amazing things happen. I sing out a tune for half a second on one day, and you will post it on Facebook for the whole world. Celebrate your exodus from this church and burn me down on the way out the door. Joel Osteen can go on Larry King Live and not have any idea whether or not Hindus are saved, and you're scared to speak a negative word about him. Why do you think that is? Let that settle for a minute. Church, we are actual pastors. There's a fivefold ministry here. Our elders are teaching elders. We are praying people. Some of us have liberties that others don't have. We tell you about it. Our doors are open to you. We care enough to address you personally, specifically, invite you into our homes and ask to go into your homes. Do you know why? Because we care about what happens to you. If we build the church for how many ever thousand people, then all we will care about is whether or not those seats are full. Because after all, there are so many, how could it be expected that we would know any of you? So we don't build the church of 3,000. We leave it like this. We just plant churches in places like Indonesia, in places like Washington, D.C., in, in places like Chicago, places like India. We will do the very same things in Kenya, the very same things in Peru. We're going to do it all over the world because we expect that the kingdom works for you the same way that we're saying that it works in our life. I have to touch one other thing briefly and then we're going to close. This is going to be so easy for you. You'll get it immediately. Write down Genesis 4, 2 through 7 and 1 John three twelve. In Genesis 4... And that's so easy to find. How can I not turn there? I mean, it's four chapters into the Bible. In verse 2, Later she gave birth to Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So... Cain was very angry and his face downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? There is this attitude that the ends justify the means. It doesn't matter how we built our building. It doesn't matter what we did to get the 10,000 people there. I mean, I want you to understand, we're feeding orphans. In fact, we show you those pictures a lot. Every time we have a new building campaign, we drag out those pictures. Every time we need to raise money, we drag out those pictures. But it's not about the money. It's about those orphans. How you get there is as important as the fact that you got there. Let me prove that to you. In 1 John 3.12, listen to why... They're not acceptable to God. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil. You've heard all of your life that God didn't like Cain's offering. It's not true. 
Abel's offering was not better than Cain's offering. That is not in the text. God looked with favor on Abel and Abel's offering. Do you know what your offering is? It's an extension of you. This means that if a wicked man brings a perfect lamb, it's unacceptable to God. And if a righteous man brings a widow's might, it is acceptable to God. It's not the state of the offering that he was concerned with. He was concerned with the state of the men that brought the offering. He looked with disfavor upon Cain and therefore Cain's offering. Do you know what that means? That means you can preach to a hundred thousand people. But if the way that you got that platform is unholy, then what you are preaching is unholy. God cares how you arrive at the stop that you're at. That's why He took Israel the long way around in the desert. It's why He does what He does. He cares. Listen, I don't know any better way to say this to you than if you... (laughs) I'm going to share a small testimony. And I leave names out of it. In a certain year, 2011, we had a speaker. Speaker preached about so many good things going to happen in 2011. And amen, I loved it. He's a spiritual man, a, a prophetically gifted man. I, I, think, I think he's probably right about all of it. So this girl dances on up to the pulpit and she goes, Oh, pastor, look here. I'm stepping out in faith. She put a check on the pulpit. It was for $2,011. Now at that time, our church budget was less than $10,000 a month. Might have been 2009 this happened. Give me credit for a year or two. Uh, I'm getting old. My beard's turning gray. It's, it's Winston's fault. <laughs> I looked at the check and I looked at her and I said, I love you too much to receive this from you. If this is God, then I will know it because your attendance will show it. Your behavior will show it. It will manifest in your life. See me in 30 days. And I gave her a check back. She was out of her church and married to a non-spirit-filled person within 30 days. What does that tell you? Now, to me, the offering is unholy because she's not right with God. If making the offering puts her right with God, I'm thrilled with that. That's not what this was about. This was no better than trying to buy your year's fortune. Now, let me ask you, how many churches do you know would give that check back? How many would have any idea what kind of woman gave it? Or whether it's important. How many would be correcting me right now through the halls of the internet, screaming at me, take the money? But what kind of church are you if you'll take somebody's money without caring about the condition of their soul? Come on, church. We are better than what we see happening around us. And it's up to us to change it. Now, you won't change it by going to burn down churches. That's not our goal. We're going to have to set a blazing standard that causes people to be hungry for what we have. I spent years railing against the evils of some of the denominational churches. I'm more happy with those churches today than I am with any of the ones that call themselves spirit-filled. I mean, it's like they lost their minds. We will not get anywhere by simply hammering people that go to those churches. What we have to do is we have to live so brightly that the lost want what we have. And those who think that they're saved 
see an incredible stark contrast between us and them. And so they hunger for it. I want to return as I close this message to the lie that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and that what He wants is you to be comfortable. Had I not heard this directly from somebody who is all that and more, I wouldn't do this. But Luke 6.24 says so plainly, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Now, just take out your black highlighter and get rid of that. You can call me rich in a lot of ways, but storing up wealth for myself on this planet is not one of them. The boots that I'm wearing, somebody gave me. The jeans that I have, I had for a long time. I bet if you look back through the pictures of us in this church, you can find this shirt for more than 10 years. And I don't feel poor. I mean, not at all. Church, we cannot hold up all that we have as why people should come to Jesus. In fact, the testimony about people coming to Jesus needs to come from you participating in the fellowship of His suffering. Them seeing that you love Him so much that when treated horribly, when your family no longer wants you over, when your neighbors talk about you when you're not, they're those people that you take that as an honor. Lamentations 2.14. I'm going to put on the screen for you. Don't turn there yet. You, you, I, it, it won't be a lie. I can quote it because I've loved this passage now for years. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles that they gave you were false and misleading. You know who said that? Jeremiah said it while he was crying his eyes out over his people. Do you know why? They had failed to repent of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and instead they participated in them worse than Jeroboam did. And so now judgment has come at last. And he is devastated because the whole time he was saying, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, there were a bunch of candied appled prophets out there that would not tell the truth. They said, no, peace Peace. Tell me we're not reliving those days right now on a national scale. We just want you to be comfortable. We just want you to be happy. Bless your little heart. Come on. We need to wake up. This is serious times. There are Christians being burned alive, beheaded, drowned in cages on a scale that we have not seen in modern times and may never have happened since the first century. And really, right now is the time for our Starbucks centers and our churches? I mean, are you kidding? While others are being raped publicly and crucified, we're going to go to Playland? While others are dying for the testimony of the Word, we're going to hang up our five non-scriptural core values that would fit well in any Mormon tabernacle? This is the time to put it in neutral and coast? No, we're going to end up lamenting just like Jeremiah if we're not careful. So I took a couple scriptures from the brothers. I got these from Brent Vincent. I got these from Justin Treister. 
Because 100% of the time, I know the rumors that fly around about all that happens at Eric's house. Yeah, well, it may be true. I smoke cigars, I'm fat, drive pickup trucks, all of those things. All of it's true and a whole lot more. You know what else is in my hand almost 24 hours a day? A Bible. You know what else I do with every person that walks through my door? Hey, what are you reading? I'm going to tell you, I listen. (laughs) And so here's what I got from Justin Treister. It's the goal of the faith. He and Peyton have been discussing this, and I was blessed by their teaching, and I'm going to give it to you in short form, and they will give it to you in long form. All you got to do is buy them lunch. Hebrew, I'm sorry, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? I want to know Christ. I don't care about Tim Tebow. I don't want to meet Deion Sanders. I don't want to meet Barack Obama. I don't want to meet Ted Cruz. I want to know Christ. Donald Trump's not my hero. Jesus Christ is my hero. I want to know Christ. Somebody say, and. And. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. How are you going to know the power of His resurrection if you're not dying daily? How are you going to know the power of His resurrection if you're not denying yourself? How are you going to know the power of His resurrection? See, the reason we like our lions tame and in barred cages is because if we have to go into that lion's habitat, we have to put ourselves at risk. Of course, if you put yourselves at risk, you might know the power of the resurrection. I'm not going to ask you how many have had a gun to your head, but you know I have. Many times, outside the kingdom and inside the kingdom. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever been threatened with a machete, but I have. I'm not going to ask you if anybody's ever tried to stab you for the gospel, but I have. Church, we need to be careful what we celebrate and careful of what we despise. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. When is the last time you heard a six-week series on the fellowship of His sufferings? Why is every six-week series on how to communicate with your spouse better? Why is every six-week series on giving? Why is every six-week series on why God loves you just like you are? You know why. Because they are selling you a gospel that is not a gospel at all. What does it mean to know the fellowship of his sufferings? It means that when you are crushed by the circumstances you've encountered out there in that lion's habitat, he is there fellowshipping with you saying, I walked this path and it's a privilege for you to walk it. See, missionaries that don't understand this apologize to their kids for what they're subjecting their kids to. Missionaries that understand this See, it is a privilege that their kids get to participate in the very things that Christ did. I want you to know something. The Stevens, the Piros, the Sutherlands will never apologize to their children for exposing them to ministry. We do ministry as a family. It is all or nothing. And since I'm driving the ship in my home, it's all. It'll never be nothing. You ask Judah what he was raised to be, he'll tell you. You ask Gabe what he's raised to be, he'll tell you. You ask Cody or Brandon what they're raised to be, they will tell you. You had to move out of my house before you could consider doing anything other than preaching the gospel. And the same goes for Abby. Her goal is to be pretty, sweet, love Jesus, and marry a man of God. That's that's amazing goal. You can have different goals for your children if you want to. My household, we're going to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of the... Sharing in his sufferings. 
This means we pray together. Do you insulate your children? You refuse to tell them when you're in trouble, when things are hard? Then how will they ever see God come through for you? One of the shaping testimonies in Brent, Brenton's life is that he saw his father struggling because a wire transfer hadn't come through and there's just no way this is going to work until, of course, it came through. And he knew his God met his needs. If you risk nothing, you learn nothing. You risk nothing, then you've never showed faith. It takes risk to step out and prophesy to people and you don't know how they'll respond. You hope you're right. You believe you're right. You know you're right, but you hope you're right. Was I right? <laughs> Becoming like him in his death. What do you mean like him in his death? That for the joy set before you, you would endure anything. And so somehow to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. My point is, is that when I met with Justin Treister and Peyton last night, we did a couple things. We invited Matthew over and we rewrote that song to make sense. Amen. No more finding his love in open fields, whatever that means. Now we find his love in the freedom of his will, you know. Secondly, I say, hey, what is going on in your lives? We are exploring the depths of this verse. This is extraordinary. It's blessing us. Have you ever noticed this and this and this? No, I haven't. Tell me more about it. I'll preach about it tomorrow. I'm keeping my word. Last verse. I got this from Brent Vincent who came over to my house and I couldn't even entice him to eat a steak. I cooked him a steak. He wouldn't eat it. That's discipline right there. The man's getting ready to go to Indonesia. It's all curry. Brent has been chewing on Ephesians 6.19. I want you to hear this and ask if the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the gospel. Why would you have to fearlessly make known the gospel? Why fearlessly? If all you're doing is telling people, hey, man, be rich and well fed. If all you're doing is telling people God wants you comfortable. If your job in life is to make them comfortable, why does anybody have to pray for you that you would be fearless in making known the gospel? How about verse 20? Why, why would you? For which I am an ambassador in chains. How did he get in chains? Who did you fail to make comfortable? How did you get in chains? Did you not build the, the playland? You didn't give them a Starbucks? They didn't feel like you and your wife look like Ken and Barbie and they want to be like you? He was chained. So he ends the, the verse with, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How should you declare the gospel? Ha, this implies that you might not because of fear. Well, who's ever going to be afraid to say you're a champion? Who doesn't want to hear you're a champion? Who doesn't want to hear it's Friday? Who doesn't want to hear that God wants you rich? See, that's not a gospel. And it takes no courage to preach it. You know why we want our gospel tame? Because we don't want to have to have courage, i.e. faith. You want to know what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is? It's not gentleman-like behavior. It's fearlessness. It's courageous proclamation of the gospel. It has cut me into pieces and every little piece will glorify God. You cannot stop me. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and be out of my mind to tell you this and I'm going to do it anyway. You know me. Some of you have been there. I don't hesitate to be the first one out of the vehicle when the guns come out. 
That's because I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I have absolutely no concern for what happens to me because I gave my life to Jesus. I don't own it. I'm not trying to control it. I'm not hanging on to it. I'm not trying to direct it and steer it. I belong to Him. One last tiny thing, because we're going to get our last scripture. It's a, just an itty-bitty one. If you're not going to help me, please don't criticize us while we do what you're too scared to do. Just don't. don't make, if you don't love us, you don't think we're wonderful, that's okay. You don't have to say so. We'll, we'll do all right. We assume that the world's against us anyway. It's, it's all right. But don't make it your ambition because you have not been filled with what you need to to try to tear us down for trying. Just, just don't, okay? Uh, there's enough in this world that's already doing that. And ask yourself, what would your life be like if you had never met the people that were in this room? Acts 4.29 was the last thing that Brent gave me, and I'm going to close with it and a testimony from Danson Kiango. Acts 4.29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, if our pastor approves. Stretch out your hand to heal if it's conducive to having a good business-like service. Stretch out your hand to do mighty, amazing signs that were approved by our board in advance. Y'all, this is ridiculous. It's a little bit like going to see the great Lord of the forest caged at a gas station for your amusement. There's a place in Louisiana you can go see a tiger in a cage. He was born in captivity. He's lived in captivity and he's dying in captivity. The Lord of glory will not do this. How do you remove the bars? What do you do? We have to be full of the Holy Ghost and courageous enough to say, even if it's not a step I predicted, even if it's an area that I can't and won't try to control, even if it humiliates me, I will obey the voice of the Lord so that He's glorified. And then expect Him to speak to you in that way today. I don't know how to hear from God. We'll start listening and expect Him to speak. But the thing is, is He hasn't spoken to me before. No, you got it wrong. He's been speaking to you all along. You have not been listening. He purchased you. He has work for you to do. Ephesians 2.10, which I will not turn to, says, You're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good work which He prepared in advance for you to do. So last is our testimony from Deanson Congo. Deanson Congo is a <laughs> Danson Kiango is a man in Kenya that I met four or five years ago. Judah and I had walked into a hotel that was full of prostitutes. We had no idea. We were alone in the city. It uh, was awkward. We didn't know where to go or what to do. And all around us is the kind of scene that we don't want to be involved in. We walked outside and there were taxi cabs in a line. We prayed. We joined hands and prayed because even with my little children, we show vulnerability so that when God comes through, they can glorify God. We prayed 
and we picked one of the cabs. We got in the cab, and it's not an unusual thing for cab drivers to make conversation about whatever you want to make conversation about, that way they can drive in circles and charge you a higher fare, right? So I'm talking to him about Jesus because it's what I do. But Danson began to respond in a way that lets me know he knows the word. I'm quoting the first part of a verse. He's finishing it. He's saying, yes, but also there's a psalm that says... Finally, Danson says, do you know where y'all want to go? I said, no, I really don't. He said, why don't we pull over and pray? Danson has been a friend for four years now. He's traveled everywhere with us. I met his pastor, his board, everywhere uh, in, in his family. And when we go back to Nairobi, we're going to preach in all of those places too. But that's not the point. I asked Danson what the church needed to hear. This is right after Pastor or Elder Bosch had just really given Danson a good lining out about some of the guys he was watching on TV. And Danson said, you're right. When you go back, tell the church this. And by the way, he'll listen to this. He's got our app. He said, Eric, how many days was Jesus on earth after he was resurrected? I said, 40. I felt I was being tested here. I needed to rise to the challenge. He said, how many days till Pentecost came? I said, well, it was 50. He said, what were they doing for the days between 40 and 50? So they were praying in the upper room. He said, that's right. They prayed for 10 days so Peter could preach a 10-minute message. He said, what's wrong with the American church? You preach for 10 days and you pray for 10 minutes. He said, if y'all could hear the voice of God, you wouldn't be caught up on all of this entertainment stuff. Danson is in a church that calls itself Presbyterian, but they're spirit-filled, and they prophesy, and they share each other's... Do you know any Presbyterian churches like that in this town? I don't either, because for him, it's not about titles, not at all. So why you go to a Presbyterian church? He goes, it was there. That's why I go. And I said, well, tell me about that. That's not how it works for us. He goes... We worship as we're led by the Spirit. We encounter the Word of God. And we just happen to be in a building called Presbyterian. I said, well, amen. Because in our country, if you go to a church with a title, they expect you to act like that title. He says, this is Africa. I said, I love Africa. (laughs) Here's our closing message to you. Don't let somebody else's title and somebody else's rule determine what you are. I don't ask Sugar Creek Baptist whether they like what I do. I don't care whether they like what I do. I'm not asking Joel Osteen or anybody else. I am going to be who God called me to be and affect the world around me in the best way that I can. And I don't amend that, change it, or abridge it for the audience that I'm facing. I am who God called me to be, who He made me. What would happen if you were that steadfast in every environment that you were in? I bet you'd begin to affect the world around you. Could you stand to your feet?